We're going to go right to the Word this morning, if that's okay. Um, so uh, we're turning to John chapter 15. We're going to continue our, our survey through the book of John. Uh, and while you're turning there, uh, please do keep in uh, Pastor uh, Landon in your prayers. Uh, he is a little under the weather today. And also, let's not forget Pastor Tara and the girls. I mean, I think uh, some of us know how it is to have small children, and she has a couple of them, you know, under two, and then have a, a sickness as well. It's, it's just a, it's a lot to deal with, so we do want to keep them in our prayers. So we're going to start with chapter, um, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, uh, or uh, chapter 15, verse 1 here in, in John. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So let's, let's look at the context here, see where we are before we kind of dig in. Uh, remember, all the mis most mistakes that we make in, in understanding Scripture is, is taking it out of context. You know, Bible says that there is no God. But if you look at, you know, the verse right before, it says the fool has said in his, in his mind. So we have to keep it in context. So this text follows the teaching um, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And Pastor Landon did such a great job last week with that uh, in chapter 14. And um, I appreciated what Pastor Brianna had to say about the Spirit, and, and it kind of confirmed in me. Uh, so the preceding chapter, you know, starts out with Jesus telling the disciples, I'm going to be going away. They didn't quite understand what that meant. I'm going to prepare a place for you. We know that means heaven. But it's better that I go because... Uh, another will come. He calls him the comforter, right? The spirit. And there, the, he will come. Well, at the end of this chapter we're looking at today, it goes back to talking about the Holy Spirit. So it's kind of makes, you know, bookends this chapter in between the Holy Spirit. And so I want you to, as, as we're looking at this today, to keep that in your mind, to keep uh, what we're talking about here in context with the spirit. It, it seems to be that without the spirit, we can't have this unity. We can't have this relationship that we're going to talk about today. But at the same time, without, without this, without being uh, one with God, without following him and being in him, we can't have the spirit. So it works both ways. Uh, the pre uh, the Jesus is speaking here to the 11 disciples. My, this would be minus Judas. Judas kind of exited in chapter 13, there is a Judas in uh, chapter 14, but I love it. As, as it, you're reading, it says Judas, and then it's like, oh, but not Judas Iscariot. So you don't get confused because he's out of here. Um, so the grapevine, this is a, a symbol that, that's used throughout Scripture. And, and we, we get that, right? Even in our culture today, we have certain symbols. If we put up... Uh, different trademarks, you'd instantly know their company, right? The Golden Arches, McDonald's or something. And our, and our nation has a symbol, right? The eagle. I remember growing up, we had some friends, and they were from uh, the U.K., and it was really cool because their passport had a lion on it. 
They were ours as an eagle. So our, our, we even pick symbols for our nation, right? Well, the grapevine was kind of synonymous with Israel, and, and they knew that. And it talks about that uh, in, in the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and even Psalms. And then also throughout the gospel. Uh, it was even on their coins. Uh, when the Jews printed money, the grapevine was on it. There was a golden grapevine that was in the uh, temple and the holy place uh, that was made. So this was something that they understood that was very synonymous with their, them and their country. But the thing about it is, in the Old Testament specifically, it never paints the, the, um, the, the grapevine into a, a positive light. It's always negative. Jeremiah talks about it withering on the, uh, and the, and the vine dying. And so um, we're going to see kind of where this goes and, and how Jesus treats that. But, you know, um, do you have a green thumb? Some people, have, they say, have a green thumb, and they're really good at cultivating plants and cultivating things. Um, there are a couple of people in my life that were pretty good at that. My, our neighbor always did, and, and he, he uh, I remember one year he did a, a garden and brought us this vegetables, squash and corn and all this, and he knew how to... Uh, cultivated. He was from Michigan, but he worked with a company for years uh, that specialized in citrus and doing things. So he, he knew about spraying with copper and all this. I have more of what you call a brown thumb. Um, I can't do anything. I try to grow things, I, uh, and they, they tend to die on me. And the thing is, I have some knowledge, maybe enough just to get into trouble. I, I, I know some things, you know, you have to water, you have to fertilize, but inevitably something goes horribly wrong. So you have to have a kind of a gifting with this. And so that brings us to our first point today. You can trust your gardener. Because in, in the text, our gardener is the father, right? He's not going to, uh, he's not going to hurt us. So this brings us, why do we prune? Because this is what the text is talking about. Why do we prune plants? Most of you probably already know. Uh, I looked it up, and, and just from uh, just a kind of a regular gardening standpoint, it says that uh, pruning gets rid of unwanted plant parts such as dead, diseased, and damaged uh, branches. Uh, and it encourages new plant growth. So before we go any further, let's, let's get this straight. Everyone is wanted in Christ. Everybody has a, a part. Everybody is, is um, he wants to be part of his family. So when we're talking about this pruning or we're talking about this cutting, uh, it's really talking about things that are already dead. And, and the way that we can see it in the text is that there's no life. There's no fruit being produced. And it says that it's going to be cut. This can... Uh, apply to in both individuals, but also behaviors that we have, uh, things that we're, we're struggling with. Verse 2 continues, every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. Individuals and behaviors God removes will be detrimental to us if left unchecked. You know, we have different words for this, decay, rot, rust. Corrosion. Some of the men um, in the room know what I'm talking about. You, you have a piece of equipment, a lawnmower, and you get some rust on it. And if you let it go, 
uh, it won't be long before it, the piece of equipment's worthless. So what do we do? We get the sandpaper, we get the, 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 the wire brush, and we remove the, the dead part, and we paint it to protect it, right? Even in, in our own bodies, sometimes we might get a skin cancer or something like that, and you go, and the doctor will remove it. And, and then what happens, uh, if you've ever been through it or know somebody who's been through that, they'll actually have the microscope there or the instruments, and they'll say, we need to go a little bit deeper. We need to make sure we get it all right. How foolish would it be if we wanted to hang on to that? How, how uh, the, the rot or the rust, because it perpetuates itself, right? We have to remove it. But thank God we can, we can trust our gardener. We can trust the one. I, I picture him almost like a surgeon, being very careful about what he cuts and what he removes. We must allow God to remove the dead that's in our lives. I... Uh, where I work, we have an individual, and he, he's, a, we have a greenhouse and a palm farm, and so he's in charge of taking care of those things, and, uh, and he'll, he'll help cultivate and grow. In fact, I have, uh, if you go outside here, the church, and there's this island kind of in the middle of the parking lot, or as you approach the church, and there's some palm trees on it, and the, the biggest one is called a silver Bismarck. And it's, it's a beautiful, it's a large tree, and I have two of them in, in my home. And, and he helped me cultivate them from just, well, you couldn't even see. It looked like a blade of grass, really. And they grow pretty quick. We also have canary date palms that are from the Canary Islands. Um, but he's always working uh, and uh, knows all the plant names, knows, how again, how to fertilize and how to care for them. And so, uh, unfortunately, and... Uh, this is kind of, he was on my, my mind this week, is that we uh, kind of had a tragic uh, incident earlier in the week. There was a car accident, and, and he passed away. And so, uh, of course, then that was on my mind as I was preparing this. And we had a little, uh, I guess you could say, a, a mem memorable service type thing for him, where some of the, the students and, and people gathered around. And uh, what I noticed was that some of the young men that were the, um, I guess you could say, the most problematic, um, some of the, uh, the hardest, the most aggressive ones, um, they broke first. Um, they were just, you know, crying in the corner. And uh, it was really moving. And it occurred to me, and we'll, we'll call this man Bob. Bob, while his job apparently was to, you know, cultivate the ground, he was doing much more. He was cultivating people. He was there for the students, for our clients. He was helping them. He was listening to them without judging them. He was accepting them. He was loving them. But at the same time, while they were out there, you know, working, he'd say, well, what about this attitude? What can we do with this attitude? How can, we, how can we work on this? Is this beneficial to you? What, is this, you know, what are these thoughts that you're thinking right now? We need to get rid of those. You see, he was out there pruning not only the trees, but he was pruning people. He was helping them develop. And that's what our Heavenly Father does. You know, sometimes I'd go out there and they'd be doing plants and they'd have these little shears. And, and sometimes that's what God does. You know, he's working on. And sometimes he'd have the pole saw. 
with the, with the chainsaw on the end. It's like 30 foot tall. And they're standing back and, and they're cutting these palm, big palm trees. Down, okay. And sometimes God has to do that. He has to bring in the heavy equipment for us. Whatever it takes. But again, the people that he removes from our lives or the, or the attitudes that, and, the, and the behaviors that he's cutting out, they're already dead. They're not something we want to hang on to. We can trust our gardener. So let's move on. I am the vine and you are the branches. This is verse 5. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, in my words in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So point two, abide in the vine. See, in the first kind of series of verses... It, uh, it's presented as, as, as the father being the gardener. But now we see that, that Christ is the vine and we're the branches. So what does abide mean? It's an older word. It can mean remain stable, fixed, a fixed state, and to continue in place. We need to abide with him. We need to stay with him. We don't want to, to wonder Make your dwelling in me. We want to dwell in him. We want to stay with him. We must remain in him. Verse 4, if you remain in me. So this is a suggested continuing relationship. It's remaining. We're already there. So he's talking to two groups here. He was talking to the Jews who weren't you know, listening and weren't acting appropriately. And he was talking also to the Christians, though. Um, and some of these Christians were what we could call Christians in name only. They wanted the, uh, the title. They wanted to be uh, the benefits, but they didn't want to be truly part of the family. You know, if, if you're abiding with somebody, uh, that's a different level, right? When you get married or if you're uh, someone who you know, you're going to move in back when you're with your parents or you have a roommate, it's kind of a different level than just friendship, right? There's some responsibility there. So this, this kind of reminds us of the, the prodigal son uh, in Luke chapter 15 and that parable. You guys remember that where there, were, there was really two prodigals in it. And sometimes we forget that. But the, the primary guy, he decides that he wants to live a little bit. He wants to taste the world. And so he gets his, his money, his inheritance from his, uh, from his father. And he goes out into the far country and uh, kind of samples everything that they have to offer. And uh, it doesn't go too well. The, the, you know, the money runs out, and he ends up uh, in a very difficult position. He's slopping the pigs, and at one point, he has got no money for food, and he even has to eat uh, what he's giving the pigs to, to eat. He has to eat the pigs' food. And, and in their culture, this would, have been, this would have been the bottom of the barrel. It really couldn't go any further because pigs and swine were considered... 
uh, just horrible. At the, uh, they're unclean to even be around. You know, and I don't know why people do things that they do. Um, I, I came across a story this week, and um, I, I don't know why someone would want to do this, but he's this man was paying people $150 an hour, so pretty good money, $150 an hour, but you had to sit in a septic tank. Yeah, some of you are still thinking about that $150 an hour, right? So I, I don't know why people do, but but that's pretty close to what this guy was doing and his culture. He was, he was in there with the pigs, right? But what happened? He came back. He realized that his, he would have it better off as a slave. He didn't come back as a son. He came back in his mind as a slave. He would prefer to be a, a servant at his father's house because he knew he'd have it better off than where he was. But when he came back, we found a second prodigal. And this is something that, that happens in, in Jewish literature all the time. There's a, there's a twist at the end. You think it's about this prodigal, but it's really about this prodigal. Because the guy who had been on the ranch the whole time and was working and the good child, he says something at the end that's very telling. And it turns out that while the prodigal had gone and left his father, the one at home had done something far worse. He had sent his father mentally and, and, and spiritually away from him. See, he wasn't close to his father, even though he was physically close. He didn't know the heart of the father. He didn't understand what this was all about. And this is what this verse is saying. There's two kinds of prodigals. There's the kind that when we go out and we leave the Lord, but there's also a far more dangerous kind when we send the Lord away. And the scary thing about this, we can do that sitting in church. We can do that with no one looking. And we can do that, you know, where it appears that we're just fine. But it's far more dangerous. And this is what we're talking about here. We have to be dependent, not independent. You know, in the United States, we want to be manly men. We want to be successful women. And we're independent. We don't need any help. That's contrary to Scripture. Romans 8.15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received both from your adoption to sonship, by him we cry, Abba, Father. And there's that word, Abba, Father, right? We translate it into Daddy or Papa. But what does it mean? It was used as a term of tender endearment by a beloved child. So the child that would use it would be beloved, and they would understand that. It's an affectionate, dependent relationship on their father. So that word Abba is it kind of pictures is picturesque of what we need to be: dependence on him, not independence from him. We must allow him to remain in us, verse 5, and I in you. You see, because he's provided everything that we need. Sometimes he gives us things that we don't, we don't understand, and it doesn't make sense to us. But, you know, we're here this morning with, a, a, well, 
depending on who you ask, I would say a bit of a celebrity, Mr. Vern. Uh, Mr. Vern, uh, one of the greatest things that I have enjoyed being here the last couple of years is getting to know uh, different ones of you and your story. And I was, I was talking to Mr. Vern. It, it turns out that in a, a previous life, he, he was an engineer, I believe. Is that correct? Um, and so if, if you don't know what an engineer is, they, they engineer things. They're good at math, and they plan things out. In a very lay term, we would call it kind of like an architect. They decide where things are going to go and how they're going to function in you know, a building or in a uh, structure or in a car or a computer, whatever they're engineering. And Mr. Vernon told me that he's uh, actually worked on the Sears Tower in Chicago, which is very impressive. You know, at the time, it was the largest or the tallest building in the United States. Um, now, he didn't, I don't think he designed the entire thing, but he worked there. He worked in it. Uh, and some other prominent buildings in Chicago and in here in Florida. But, you know, when he, when he was doing that and other architects or engineers, they, they plan out what's needed. And just as important, they plan what's safe, right? Some things we don't understand. They make sure everything is to code. They make sure that everything is safe for you to use. The electrical doesn't, isn't going to start a fire. We're not going to have a leaky roof. And they, that all takes forethought and understanding. No, but what if I come out and I say, well, I like to listen to the radio or watch TV in the bathtub, and I want to put an electrical outlet. I don't think they're going to let me do that, right? Because it's unsafe. Sometimes we, we want to do things that are unsafe, but God has a different plan, right? So sometimes some of the things that he's, he's working on us are, are for our own good because it prevents us from doing things that are unsafe. At the same time, sometimes we don't take advantage of what they have planned for us, right? Imagine if you had someone and they had planned a window and, and you have, there's curtains and draperies on it. You're not, you're not making use of that, right? And that's what... That's what this scripture is talking about. We have to abide in him because when we abide in Christ, we reap all those benefits. We're safe. We don't have to worry about uh, being lost. We have peace. See, without him, we can do nothing. The fruit that he's talking about is reaching others. It's sharing with others. It's ministering to others. It's telling others not that you have a perfect life and not that you don't have any cares or worries or not even that you have, don't have challenges. But at the end of the day, you have peace and you know that it's going to work together. Listen to what the theologian says. The secret of Jesus' life was his contact with the Father. Again and again, he withdrew to an isolated place to meet him. We must keep in contact with Jesus. We can only do that if we take deliberate steps to do so. My pastor years ago told me two of the major things that you can look at, two indicators on how you're doing, would be your checkbook and your day planner or your calendar. Now, we're not going to turn this into legalism, but the idea is that are your priorities God's priorities? How much time are you allowing him to spend with you? The thing about the, the, um, the grapevine is that if you think about it, um, they were um, sacrificing and, and, and doing animal sacrifices quite a bit, right, all the time. 
And so they would need wood for that. And occasionally they would require people to bring in wood so that they could continue with the altar. But the grapevine wood would never be accepted. It doesn't have a use. And that's why he talks about it being burnt up. You see, we have to be have an intimate relationship with the Father. Sometimes we think of intimacy in just one way, but we can have emotional, intellectual, and spiritual intimacy with Christ. And that's what this passage is talking about. He's the vine. If you think about how a vine works, I have a vine that grows up at a tree at the house, and um, I'll cut it. If you cut it in one area uh, and try to trim it, if you look if anything above that, it, it's going to die. And sometimes I won't see it, or I, and I'll come back in a few days, and I'll like, look at that. That, that vine died. It's because we made a cut down here. We have to stay connected. This whole passage is really about staying connected and having a relationship with him. So let's look at this first real quick, but in, uh, in Eugene H. Peterson's paraphrase. I am the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown into the bonfire. Let's go to verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you, kept my com- if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remained in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. You see how Christ sets the example for us of love, but also of obedience. We're expected to be obedient just as he was. So that brings us to point three. Love is the thing, because that's how all of this ties together. So let's talk about joy. Because it's what it talks about in verse 11, right? Joy. I have told you this so that you're my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Some people think joy is just happiness or being, being satisfied or happy, and, and there's a part of it that it is that. But in the text, in the original, what it really means is extended favor, lean towards or favorable thoughts toward, uh, a favorable disposition or favorably disposed. Properly, the awareness of God's grace, favor, and joy, or the recognition of grace in your life. So that's what joy is, the recognition that you have God's favor. We all do, as his children. That's what this is. But it's, it's funny, look at this. Do we want joy? Do you want joy and in, in, in the understanding of the grace of God in your life? But what does the text say? John is linking joy in verse 11 with remaining in Christ's love, which is in verse 10. But Christ's love is linked to obedience. 
Now, I want to make this clear. God's love for you is not dependent on your performance. God will not love you any more or any less because of how well you obey. But to reap the benefits, to understand and, and, and receive this level of grace, this level of, of joy, to take it you know, to the next level, so to speak, we have to be in obedience. And, you know, it's like the, the young person at home that's the prodigal and they go out. You still love them. It doesn't matter what they do. They can't do anything to cut that love that you have for them. But they're not going to enjoy the benefits and they're not going to enjoy the benefit necessarily, uh, mostly of relationship, right? Depending on how someone behaves, that relationship can be damaged and can even be cut off. And it doesn't mean that you don't love them. You talk to people sometimes who have been through divorces or have been through difficult situations, or even people who have been abused by other people, and they'll say, I still love them, but there can be no relationship. If you want a relationship with him, we have to obey him. You see, in this context, love is a verb. It's an action word. Gordon Fee would say this, to love is to act. Anything short of action is not love at all. You see, in the Greek, there was those four different words. We just have one word for love, right? I love a Big Mac. I love my dog. I love my wife. In that order, or not in that order. But there's four different words here. There's phileo. That's where we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. That's a friendship. That's a camaraderie love. Uh, there's storage, which is family love, your parents, your children. There's uh, eros, which is where we get the word erotic or ro romance or a love between a man and a woman. But then there's another one. And this is the one that Paul, uh, it, Paul uses in Corinthians, but also that we're using, Jesus is using here in, uh, in John 15. And it's agape. And, and some have said, you know, when you're coming up in children's church, sometimes we tell the kids, well, agape means God loves you uh, no matter what. Or God loves you regardless, you know, 100% pure love. And, and that is true. He does. But kind of a more sophisticated understanding of that word is that God sees you for who you are. He sees the sin. He sees the filth. He sees all of our failures. And he says, I still love you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. I love you in spite of all of that, which is a much stronger, stronger love, isn't it? You know, if you have somebody, I love you, well, I don't even know who you are. I don't know how much I could love you. You know, that when you get married at first, it, it really is more of a lust. It's more of an attraction. I need to be with this person. There's all kinds of uh, endorphins and things firing off in the brain. But, you know, they call it the seven-year itch. You, you give it some time, and it becomes more of a choice. But then if you can push through that, some of the uh, seasoned citizens, some of the people that are, you know, that we look to that have, have been around the block a few times or around, around the earth, you know, so to speak, they'll tell us that, that the love gets better. It gets better with age. You know, unfortunately... Uh, we were talking about that this week, that more and more 
couples are getting divorced, not because of, of abuse or um, you know, cheating, not even because of you know, what they call irreparable um, differences, but because they're bored. It no longer excites them. And so because of our culture, it's okay just to walk away. My happiness is paramount. My happiness, you know, I, why, why wouldn't you want me to be happy? And if I think this thing makes me happy, it's going to, you know, then, but that's not love at all. And that's not what we're talking about. See, the love that holds all this together, that, that pure love that sees, sees what the world for what it is, it sees you for what you are, it's a realistic love, a realist love, is what Paul speaks about in, in, in Corinthians chapter 13. And because agape means a Christ-like love, um, I kind of input it, in, uh, edited it into the verse. Instead of just love, I put Christ-like. And I want to read that. Christ-like love is patient. Christ-like love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Christ-like love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. Christ-like love never fails. And that's what we have to have that ties this together. If we want to abide in him, we have to abide in his love. If we want to survive the pruning process, we have to abide in his love. And if we want his Holy Spirit, we have to abide in his love. It's as if John is saying in this, in this text, if you want to be rightly related to Christ, you have to abide. If you want to be rightly related to one another, you have to love. And if you want to be rightly related to the world, you have to witness and testify. So there are some here that you say, you know, I, I haven't done the best of that. I would count myself as part of that. So if, if you need prayer, if you want us to remember you, you would say that I need to abide better in his love. I need to learn to testify and witness to the world. Or you say, you know, I'm, I'm a visitor here. I just came in. Everybody was friendly. But I don't know what this you're talking about. I don't know what this abiding in his love is, but I want to. And if, you, if you're interested and want to accept the Lord, I'm going to pray. And I encourage you to come up. There'll be people here to pray with you. Mark and Cheryl are going to come up. Pastor Brianna. We're going to do that, all right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time that we have together today. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can abide in you. And we thank you for this, this place. We ask that those that, that, that need a touch from you would come they want a special prayer or if they've never accepted Christ as their Savior, we ask 
touch them, Lord, and they would come. Be with us. Be with Pastor Landon, Pastor Tara, and the girls. Keep us safe, Lord, and bring us back, we pray. In Christ's name.